When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here to talk about the defense in this AFC Championship game lost to the Chiefs. Here to do that with me is Jordan Coe. Jordan, how are you doing? Good, Ken. I mean, could be could be a little bit better today, but uh, all things considered, everything's all right. Yeah, obviously, uh, lots of problems in this game. The, the first half kind of marred by an inability to get off the field for the Ravens as they built over the first two drives. The Chiefs built the 14-7 lead. They never gave up. Uh, the offense in the second half uh, missed a lot of opportunities while the defense was pitching a shutout. So, uh, you know, I, frustrating as hell game to watch in terms of the interception, the, the the fumble by Flowers, all the things that happened. But I, I guess I, I want to start with more of an upbeat thing after this game. And and do you consider this a successful season for the Ravens? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think, you know, if you're going up to, I don't know what the, uh, I don't know what the, the, the phrase is supposed to be, but if you go up to enough feet, 
<laughs> high enough, 10, 15, yeah. 30, 50, everybody says something yeah. different. But if you go up high enough and you're looking down at what the Ravens came into in terms of this year, uh, which was a team with a new offensive coordinator, some questions about where we thought the direction and things might look like and where things were headed with this team overall. Um, you got tremendous performance from the offense. If you look at the, if you take not this Chiefs game in the prior 10 weeks in a sap, snapshot, the growth that we saw from this offense, from Lamar, from what was happening from that perspective, the growth that we saw from this defense, they they continued to get better. They really understood how to play together. I think that, I think that Roquan and Kyle Hamilton, and we can talk about this when we talk about this game, are very clearly the anchors of where this defense is moving forward. And if you add one small pa true pass rush component to this, it's going to make it tick. I know Mike McDonald gets a lot of the credit, but I think that underlying a lot of that is Roquan and Kyle Hamilton. And, and underlying every good defensive coordinator are some really good players. And we've seen some really good growth from some of the young guys on this team. Um, and there's some spots to fill. And now there's a plan and an approach to how they might want to fill them. Now we're going to find out whether McDonald is here I, I think it's a given that Munkin is back. Yes, you look at the strengths, right? You look at the strengths of what you had on this team. You decide how you want to build on those things, right? Do we need Beckham back? Where are, where are some of our value buys here, right? Like re-signing Zeitler is a cap buy, right? Because he's got these void years that's attached to him. Aguilar's got some void years. Like make some decisions around those pieces. Set your cap up moving forward. But then be really strategic about where you bring some of these guys in. John Simpson was terrible in these playoffs. He was terrible in these playoffs. And I think that you easily could make the case that he was one of the reasons why the Ravens didn't advance farther. I, I, I just, I didn't, I, I thought he performed really poorly in this game. I thought he didn't play well against the Texans. I think they've got to solve the left guard problem. Ronnie Stanley, that's a touchdown to Rashad Bateman. If Ronnie Stanley just gives up any semblance of protection um, on the strip sack fumble of Lamar. So like, there are just some things that you've got to decide, okay, do we want to be leaving Lamar's blind side? unprotected what do we want to do about ronnie stanley do we want to be more of this kind of powerhouse offensive line what do we want to do with left guard right do we want to be a, a 12 personnel team okay we don't need to bring out galore and beckham back those are those are some questions that this team gets to answer in the offseason and pick the direction that they want to go based on what they did this year okay lots certainly a lot to unpack there so you give me a lot to deal with here but um uh, let me let me just give my take on it from a from a slightly different direction. Is I think I would start at the at where they were at prior to camp last year, and the complete mess that seemed to have been made of the relationship, at least in the national media, between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, and the way that they solved that. You know, they got him signed. Never want to leave the Ravens. There's never really a matter of animosity in that sense. I think EDC probably said it best. Family's the toughest. And, you know, we, there's, a, there's a difference between Lamar, the agent, and Lamar, the quarterback. And you really like love Lamar, the quarterback. You never, you know, I think Lamar, the growth in him has been terrific in this year as a leader. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, there have been both incredible strengths revealed in Lamar. I think there's been some additional weaknesses from these last few weeks in particular in terms of the blitz being effective against Lamar that the Ravens are going to still have to figure out. And that's a that's an offensive coordinator and a Lamar situation. They did figure it out in the second half against the Texans. They didn't really figure it out in the game against Kansas City in terms of really getting the ball out quickly and and uh, and doing things against a quality set of cornerbacks. There, um, I think if if you if you look at both coordinator spots, they they absolutely nailed the pick and the continuation with McDonald. Obviously, McDonald was already highly thought of. Um, I thought they did a wonderful job on position coaches this year. That Chuck Smith 
selection just paid off in spades. I don't know why we're not talking about him the whole time. I mean, a lot of it is is scheme, but they did a wonderful job with with Chuck Smith as well. Um, if you if you're looking at other uh, scheme based components, I think that that McDonald is extremely um, adaptable in terms of the the individual opponent, and I think they did a great job fitting the talent they had to a scheme that really minimized the weaknesses that they had, particularly cornerback in terms of, of uh, you know, at starting off with a, with an extremely weak unit. And then they had some wonderful things just go right for this team that you're not going to be able to depend on every year. The, the big one being that the five defensive linemen played every single snap the entire season. It's a, that's an unreal benefit. You know, so, sometimes you hear about an offensive line playing all their snaps together a year, you know, once every five years or something that happens. Tim, the offensive, you know, the defensive line play every single snap in a season. It's just unreal. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with all those. I think Anthony Weaver is probably going to be the defensive coach if Mike McDonald leaves. I think there won't be a big drop-off from that. I think that's a great boost for the Ravens. I think that tees him up in a year or two of being a head coach candidate and puts them right on track for getting two third-round picks. I think you could see a guy like Chuck Chuck Smith becoming, you know, moving into his role and just building that pipeline, building the pipeline to those picks. Um, you know, I, it's there's a lot that went right in the entire context of this year. This game wasn't the outcome what, that we wanted and it stings because it felt so close and this team was so good, but it, it, it's really hard in the short term, not to look back at this and be like, this game was actually really close because we just lost, but this game was actually really close. And the Ravens on offense probably played literally like, I know this isn't the offensive podcast, but literally played the worst possible game they could in balance, right? Like there were some good things that happened, but on net played the worst possible game they could. And this is a team that was a fumble on the one yard line and a fumble from Lamar away from probably winning this game by 10 points. Um, and and some miraculous plays by Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. And when I say miraculous, like if you go back and watch some of these plays that Mahomes and Kelsey put together, it is staggering. I think that the one thing that I wish that I could convey to the Ravens is they've got to learn to spam when they get to the playoffs like the Chiefs do. The Chiefs, once they get to the playoffs, it's all of their main guys on every single play, every single time without question. And the Ravens have to, and I think they started to figure that out with flowers. They started, they just started trying to get right. flowers, the ball, because they could tell he was the guy that was going to win. Um, but at, at the end of the day, it wasn't the chiefs offense that beat a Ravens defense. It was tip of the cap, tremendous play by Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey to win this game for the chiefs. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would give the Chiefs defense some credit here, too. And I think in particular, the cornerbacks were very sticky um, in the second half. And the combination of that stickiness, which didn't have to last too long, given the fact that they were blitzing play after play after play, was something that the 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 um, uh, Chiefs really benefited from. And, they, and, and that was the, that's the strength of the team. I mean, that's the strength of their team is, is McDuffie, Josh Williams, and uh, I'm forgetting somebody now that the, the – Sneed. 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 Yes, of course. Uh, Sneed goes a whole game without getting a penalty, but that's uh, that's uh, rare for him. But when he does that, he's going to be very good. Um, so anyway, it's a it was a it, definitely a, a top group of cornerbacks and, and their safeties made plays as well. You know, their safeties made plays rushing the passer. Uh, they had Devin Bush come off the or Dion Bush, right, come off the bench and get the interception. So it was, a, it was a lot of things that went wrong, and 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 there was some Ravens beating themselves. The the 
Um, the Stanley, we, we just scored the offensive line tonight, so this is where I'm coming up with this. Um, I credit, credit Stanley with a block on the play. It was an ATS pocket. It was well over three seconds when that fumble came out. So I can't blame that on Stanley. I just can't. I looked at it. You know, I'm clicking through. We're at 90 clicks. We're at 100, actually at about 111 clicks. Um, when the pressure finally gets there, that's 3.7 seconds. You know, it's just it, it wasn't Stanley's fault. I guess this is where when I say the Ravens have to make some strategic decisions, and I think this is both in play calling and coaching as well as implementation. I think Stanley is a guy that's going to give you a solid three seconds right now. And beyond that, just given his history and his career and kind of where he is kind of in the arc of, of his health is not going to give you more than that. And you're going to need a guy like I would rather have a guy that's pushing someone way up the field and is going to get them completely out of that pocket and using that athleticism to push them out and also give Lamar an outlet to go to the left in that circumstance. Yes, he won the block, but so what kind of guy, and I'm, I know we're asking, this is asking a lot because left tackle is one of the yeah. hardest positions to fill in the game, but you're looking for a guy that fits that schematically because that fits better with who Lamar is. And the younger Stanley, I think, fit better with who Lamar is now. And it's just too bad that they didn't marry up when they were both kind of fully locked in. That they're at kind of at both of their peak. I mean, they were both of their peak in 2019. Um, you know, Lamar was, you know, as much as we talk about Lamar this year, the MVP, if you had your choice between those two seasons and wouldn't take Lamar 2019, you're out of your freaking mind. You know, you just, he was, he was a, he, that was one of the greatest seasons of all time. And we'll never see another one like it, you know, in the in likely in our lifetime. Uh, it just is one of those things. I, I think if you wanted to look at what did not go right for this team, I think, you know, the couple of things they overspent on a couple of players. Beckham being the primary one, but also uh, Yassin uh, was it was a bad acquisition. But then they had a bunch of good ones too. And you look in, in net, and I think they probably are a positive in terms of their free agent dollars when you consider Clowney and Van Noy and uh, Ronald Darby, outstanding pickup for the price. Um, certainly, uh, Mollet you could put in this category. He's a one. He's a vet men guy, so so definitely a you know a guy who makes a lot of sense. So they had a lot of real value. Um, generated by guys who were inexpensive. And I think the underrated thing that we're not talking about right now, and I know some of these guys are going to have to leave. I think Patrick Queen, for mm -hmm. example, is a given that's going to be gone. I think some of the corners that you mentioned are going to be gone. I think Geno Stone is probably going to be gone. Mm -hmm. But the, the underrated thing about that is that the Ravens in 2025 are going to pick up multiple comp picks. And they're probably one of them. Sure. If Patrick Queen right. gets paid what his market value is, should be a third round pick. I mean, so when you think about that from the broader team structure of one, what you're getting out of this and two, what you're getting in the future, you're going to need those picks when you get to 2025 to backfill in this team. It's an aging team to begin with. Um, so it's not all, it's all not necessarily a bad thing that you've taken basically these diamonds in the rough and turn them into value added assets that you can then use to sign guys more like Aguilar without losing a comp out like these top end comp picks that you might have in other years. Well, they did lose in fact a comp pick for Aguilar, which is that was costly. And, and, you know, you look at the Aguilar and it, I I'm about neutral on the Aguilar pick. I think that, you know, the, between the money and the sixth round pick, um, I, he, he performed adequately for, for that it's not it wasn't a terrible deal it wasn't a great deal neither way was it you know like can i really shine it i think he's probably been a good teammate but i also think that of odell and he does some things that don't really show up in the statistics that i would point to and say that was value there's no way i can get 18 million dollars of value no. even 18 million spread 
out of what happened, or even if it's 15 or 16 or wherever it fits in with the, with the NLTBE bonuses, um, you know, it's, it's a, it ends up being not a good total amount of dollars paid. Um, but we do come back to Lamar Jackson, his side. Yes. That's what I was, I, I was just about to say that to you, which is that I think that. I, I don't need to be reminded, you know, I've really, yeah, I've heard play, it. I think they played a part together. So that's it. Yeah. A hundred times, you know, we've, we've, we've heard this before and it, and it was a, it was a good wide receiver unit. Um, nice to see Bateman come back. So they're, they're, they're positive. So there's lots of young growth. You know, if we're really talking about about good things, I think we finally get to say goodbye to a somewhat damaged relationship with Dobbins. I don't know that it's it, that that it can't recover because I think EDC and the Ravens are kind of the masters of fixing those broken relationships. But I think part of it is Dobbins has got a, a bump to get over that he's got to accept the fact that now he's a vet men player. And I don't know that anybody, I, I don't know that he's ready to do that. Um, you know, he's, first of all, I don't think he played for the vet men his first four years or even close to it. Well, probably close to it, but, but not, not much more than the vet. He probably made more than the vet men because he was a second round draft pick. So, uh, you know, if he's making a million and a half to 2 million per year for those first four years, he's actually going to have to take a pay cut, you know, this next year to play for somebody and, and, or maybe there's somebody out there who wants to take a chance on him at 2 million. You know, the jets seem to collect these puppies. So, uh, you know, it's <laughs> a possibility. It could be one of those bonus structured contracts too. You know, he has yes. the advantage from that sense, from an injury perspective, that none of those will be earned. So you can make them even games played um, and set the numbers pretty low. So the Ravens could look at potentially bringing him back in that regard if they wanted to keep the cap number low. And then if you're if it's paying dividends, it pays dividends. It's not. It's another vet minimum. I think the running back position is an interesting one for the future of this Ravens beyond Keaton Mitchell, but the first half of next year uh, is an open question as to how they're going to fill some of that too. And then whether Keaton Mitchell can be what we saw from him in the second half too. Yeah. I, it's obviously Keaton Mitchell's health for 2024 is at the top of the running back discussion. And then, you know, obviously they've got free agents, they've got Edwards to deal with. They've got Dobbins, as we mentioned, and then Hill is, is signed for next year. Uh, that's, that's been a very nice revelation. He'll really look like he had a very bad pass blocking in this game from how it looked on our sheet. I didn't see how PFF scored it. <laughs> In this game, he, he did not for as well as he played against the Texans. That is how poorly I feel like he played yeah. against the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely missed one block against the Texans, but he, but he, yeah, there were a couple in this game that didn't look good, and uh, and that was a big part of it. Um, let's let's maybe talk a little bit about the game itself rather than just 2024 because we can we can uh, wax poetic all night about that. Uh, very nice weather considering the forecast. If you weren't there, you missed a good day of weather for a ball game. Uh, they showed some rain up in the lights. wasn't nearly as bad as it looked. I mean, the the worst it ever got was just a you know a few little drops on your jacket kind of thing. And I have seen that phenomenon. I don't know how it occurs, but at baseball games where you look up towards the lights and the lights, you see rain streaming down, but and you're like, wait a minute, I'm not even feeling a drop, really. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, it, it was uh, it was a nice night, a nice uh, you know afternoon and night for football, and uh, and that wasn't the problem at all. Um, in fact, I think a little more moisture on the field would have been good for the Ravens because I think it would have taken away some of the advantage of the Chiefs' cornerbacks from them, made them less sticky, made it more difficult for them to get upright in the in the face of the Ravens. Uh, but you know, let's let's go back to the Chiefs in that first half. Obviously, they, they had a, a great deal of difficulty getting the Chiefs off the field on third down, particularly in that first half, and they ended up losing the snap count by a bundle, 73 to 57 in the game. Most of that was in the first half. Well, they had a fourth down conversion, so they got the stop on the very first drive out of the gate, yes. and then they had to defend on that fourth down. And that, I, I, and when I say that they were just tremendous plays by Mahomes and Kelsey, that's a perfect example. I mean, you 
Brandon Stevens might have been able to get one more step underneath Kelsey and made Mahomes hesitate a little bit more on the throw, but it's a perfect throw and a perfect catch on a really good play design where you keep, you keep a guy that you're, you know, whether he was in single coverage or not, he's going to have one guy on him on the backside of a screenplay like that. Um, So it's just good design. And then a tremendous play. Um, The touchdown throw to Kelsey is just a gem. I mean, Kyle Hamilton, Literally, you could not ask for better coverage from a safety on a tight end on any play. He had his head turned around. He was hand fighting with Kelsey. He didn't let Kelsey get his hands into position. He got turned around. He was able to use his body but not interfere on the play. I mean, Hamilton played it perfectly, and the throw and catch was phenomenal. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how you're supposed to stop that. <laughs> no, and, and there's no defense for the perfect pass. It was Hamilton, if you wanted to say it, he did overrun the play maybe slightly in the in the uh, with the goal to not interfere with Kelsey. And then it was thrown in this perfect kind of a back shoulder, which is kind of like front shoulder almost in that sense, you know, a play where it was actually behind the run run over overrun of the play. Uh, weird throwing but kelsey you know mentioned on the on the tv the body control was it was really exceptional on the play and uh he knew what mahomes where mahomes was going to put the football you know right there and and made the play one of the first one of the few times that hamilton's been beat the whole year in terms of really getting beat for a for a big play but that was it and he had a fantastic game overall which we'll get to a little later yeah well and then kelsey had the other third down conversion on that crazy wild scramble and the the wobbler of a throw from Mahomes and just outstretched. Was it, I think it was over Stevens again. Um, and it was just, I, I mean, again, it's just, you know, I, I just don't know. <laughs> You've got to be at your best on both sides of the ball. And I think we knew this coming into the game, if you're going to beat them, because the chiefs are going to convert three or four plays like that in every single game. And it felt like the chiefs converted those big plays and those big moments and the Ravens didn't. Yeah, that that was a shot, but wasn't that Hamilton on that one? I'm I'm thinking, but it oh, was it Hamilton? Yeah, um, no, I'm thinking of the of this of that little screen pass that looked like a duplicate almost of Hamilton trying to yep. get in for the tip ball interception against that he had against Watson earlier in the year for the touchdown. That play was insane too. That yeah. I mean, uh, Mahomes was gonna, and there was actually a play. This is a, the perfect, I think kind of corollary of the difference between Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson at this stage, which is that he saw Hamilton coming in. He knew Hamilton had the height and was going to jump and waited just long enough so he could see how high he was going to go to throw it right over the top. Now there was a play where the Ravens ran a wide receiver screen to the right. Chris Jones got a sense of it. And Lamar is looking at Zay Flowers to line up the throw perfectly. And he doesn't adjust to Chris Jones. If he hits Zay Flowers on that play, I think Zay Flowers is going to score a touchdown. The Ravens had five or six blockers in front of him. There were only three or four defenders on that side of the field. They had them. And Chris Jones steps up and makes this massive play. Mahomes would have thrown that over the top of Chris Jones, and it would have been a big play to whoever was catching the ball on the other side. If he had lobbed it that way? The one thing in it. If he had lobbed it in that way. Well, it was was one of those where he leaned down sidearm. I know what you mean. I I know the play exactly what you mean. So if he if he had gone Mahomes on that play and lobbed it oh, over the top saying. to Flowers, wouldn't have been a touchdown. I, I just think that the, the Chiefs would have had time to rally to the ball and whatnot. So um, yeah. But either I, way, I, the point being is that yeah. Lamar's got to be paid. Like you, there's a lot to learn from the patience of Patrick Mahomes in these situations, which is that sometimes you have to let the, whatever is happening happen in front of you first, and then take advantage kind of right after that. And the processing of that is really difficult. Um, but there were a few different times in this game where I think that could have made all the difference in the world for Lamar. 
Right. One of the things I, I, you know, one play, we talk about this later maybe, but, but there was a, uh, they ran out of bench formation late to get a, to get a first down in the fourth quarter. And on that one, Watson, his job, and you look at this play was to run right into Hamilton. He shouldered him very hard off the play that separated him from being able to go there. Now it's a pick play. It was an illegal pick play. Take a look at it, decide for yourself. But Hamilton was furious and he went to the official. If you're wondering what he was emoting about after that play, he wanted offensive pass interference on Watson on the play number 84. And uh, that, that was a enormous play in terms of running a, a fair amount of additional time off the, off the clock in that fourth quarter when the, obviously the chiefs were trying to get the game over with. But uh, but anyway, good uh, uh, Hamilton, a great game in this one. One guy who we didn't see much from is Marlon Humphrey uh, in for the second drive of the game. So he didn't start. Ronald Darby did. Uh, Darby, I thought, played pretty well in the game. Uh, Hamilton did not. Uh, sorry, not Hamilton. Um, uh, Humphrey just just played for that one series and then he was done. So he went as far as he could. Hopefully it's nothing that lingers into next year. Like we're hearing calf injury. I always get worried that's really ankle or Achilles or whatever. It's something else that may be more concerning. Uh, but hopefully it's a, it's a musculoskeletal thing that can be dealt with without ligament damage of some sort, you know, being the, the more likely longer term impact. Yeah. It, I, and this is just an aside. I, I don't understand why Marlon Humphrey was in the game playing special teams the week that he got hurt when he had come back. It's just for a guy that had been banged up all year long and you're trying to keep clean and you already know that you've clinched the playoffs at that point. I, I just, I didn't understand that retroactively. Even if he wanted to play, you just tell him to sit his butt down and, and, and wait. Um, but yeah, but Ronald and Ronald Darby played a great game. You want to talk about fumble inequity in this game, right? Where yeah. the Ravens lost the flowers fumble and they lost the Lamar fumble. I, if you weren't paying attention Darby forced, forced a fumble yeah. on the that sideline and was it was close to staying in bounds and, and there being a chance that somebody could have snatched it up and it just it just barely rolled out of bounds. And so you're talking about three forced fumbles in this game, all going in the wrong direction against the Ravens. A Ravens player falls on the Zay Flowers fumble. Nobody, no, there's no spilled milk, no one's crying at all in those circumstances. It's just sometimes it feels like the breaks kind of go that way. Yeah. It, it, the, the the play on that sideline. It, that was a case of the ball bounced in the wrong direction. That's true of a lot of the Humphrey punch-out fumbles from the year where he had eight. Is that a lot of them where they were just by the sidelines because that's where Humphrey normally defends a receiver. And then when he punches the ball out, it often goes out of bounds. And, you know, there's, there's not a lot of gain from it. And sometimes there is. So, you know, in overtime, he got the game-winning play on uh, on just such a play. But that was a case where even though Darby got a good force fumble, it, it was Chiefs offensive player and i'm forgetting who it was was it valdez scantling or it was it was one of the one of the receivers anyway it was then the was, other receiver it, well i don't think it was valdez scantling i think it was the other receiver watson maybe 84 or rice either way didn't matter the, it was the, rice the, i think it was rice okay okay so you rice ball sideline is the order actually it's darby rice ball sideline that wasn't going to be recovered where it was by any ravens player it was either going to get pushed out of bounds or recovered by rice it almost looked to me like he did recover the ball but I think I did see it in, in the game book that it that, that it bounced out of bounds. Yeah, he did not. He did not. So it, it looked like he did, and they didn't really make much of a fuss about it during yeah. kind of the the actual coverage of the game. But it was just a shout out to Ronald Darby. Play. I agree with you that he played a really yeah. nice game. But you know, Marlon Humphrey is a difference maker uh, for the Ravens in some of these situations too. I mean, we we look. You can't. The Chiefs were far less healthy than the Ravens were. So this is not a gripe that the Ravens right. weren't healthy coming into this game. Um, but Marlon Humphrey is a guy that you can put up 
against Rashid Rice and some of these screen game stuff just goes away because when he's healthy, the physicality of that, you know, you yeah. make sure that Hamilton is on one side of the field and Humphrey is on the other and their physicality is going to take a lot of some of that away. Um, and it's going to, it's going to give you more options to do a few different things. There are, I, you know, being able to put Humphrey on Travis Kelsey in some of these big situations yeah. would have been a really interesting matchup for the Ravens, something they've done before. Um, so it's just, you know, hopefully he comes back healthy, but he's, you know, he's a, important part of this Ravens team moving forward. I'm just going to say that was the big package thing from this game. So I'll, I'll jump ahead a little bit on a spoiler on this. When Hamilton was at slot corner, the Ravens allowed only 3.2 yards per play. When Hamilton had to go back deep in the standard nickels, that said Mollette in the slot, they, they got 6.8 yards per play. Big, big difference. And I don't think that's just sample size. They're deciding it, although uh, Mollette was in for the last play when he gave up the 32-yard play to MBS. Uh, it, it, it's not just that it's, it's other stuff as well, you know, contributing to that total that maybe re- represents about one yard of the difference. And it's also a play given up by Mollette, by the way. So <laughs> it's really hard to say that, that that's, uh, uh, you know, not, not what it was, but the Ravens just really benefited from having Hamilton as big nickel as much as possible. And I hope next year they kind of build the defense around that. Um, you know, it's okay if he plays back in, in the base, but I, I, I really, I think they've got to look at at how they keep him up close to the line of scrimmage, basically for every play that they can, and they'll have some options on how to do it. Whether they do it at inside linebacker, whether they do it, um, I, I, I think they're still going to be a cover two team. I would, I would assume. I think that makes a lot of sense. But they, but they could do it at inside linebacker. They could do it at slot corner if you want to move them around. Yeah. No. I, Kyle Hamilton was everywhere in this game. Like if, the, if there's one positive takeaway I actually I thought there were two really good positive takeaways on the defensive side of the ball and I here's the other thing the Ravens lost but the Ravens defense played fantastic they held the Chiefs team that made some phenomenal plays in this game to 17 points the second half of this game was chef's kiss perfection um in terms of what was called in terms of how the guys played in terms of their effort as a team individually across the board um it's just like, like enough credit cannot be given to them for what they did. No one's talking about how Patrick Mahomes was held to 17 points and how they got them all in the first half of this game. Um, but they played phenomenally well, and Kyle Hamilton was a massive part of that game. Kyle Hamilton and Justin Matabike, Justin Matabike earned himself the franchise tag in this game. There is, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, there is no way the Ravens are letting him go to another team, at least for one year. They'll get him They'll get him on a franchise tag for a year or two, but I think I think he's a Raven for life, um, and I think it happened because of this game. Well, I, you know, I hope so. And, and you know, it was a game where I really predicted that the, the, the guard play on both sides was at that level of week. And by the way, Trey Smith grades out pretty well on PFF. I didn't see it in this game. Trey Smith had a lot of problems with Matabike. Hopefully, much of that, most of that is Matabike. Uh, Allegretti had problems also with him, but uh, 92 wasn't lined up on that side as often. And uh, Matabike really imposed his will on this game in a lot of ways. Was part of both sacks, drew two holding penalties, two other pressures. And that's in a game where Mahomes had the ball out 19 times early out of, what, 41 in this game. It was 46% of the time he had the ball out quick in this game. So uh, anyway, we'll jump on some of that later. Um, I think Matabiki is a guy that the Ravens will attempt to keep, but I think it's still a possibility of a tag and trade here. That that the the thing that the Ravens are now emboldened to do is to tag him for sure because they'll take the risk on having him for next year. Before this game, 
I don't know. I was probably 60, 40, 70, 30 that they wanted to do it. Now I'm, now I'm basically pretty close to 100%. Unless he gets hurt in a pickup basketball game before the date, you know, I think he's basically all set to, to get the franchise tag. And, you know, when they do it, they'll probably work it out for a multi-year deal. Um, the Ravens got to be careful because they don't have a lot of cornerstone money lying around. And if they've spent it on Manabike, they can't spend it to address another problem like left tackle. Um, and, and then they also got to be careful because after next season, they're going to have to look at re-signing Kyle Hamilton long-term. So, uh, yeah, I mean, all those things are, all those things are to be considered, but look, you got to, the Ravens have seen, in my opinion, too many guys that are leaving to go and make some of these impact plays. It's the thing that, I mean, if I'm talking about who won this game for the chiefs, I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes. You're talking about Travis Kelsey. You're talking about Chris Jones. Uh, you know, yeah, the strip sack against Stanley was nice, but like it wasn't transcendent. None of there were some other guys that played some roles. Sneed, obviously, with the big forced fumble. Um, and he's a guy that I think they're keeping long term. But I think at the end of the day, you've got to pay your superstars and you've got to figure out how to build around the rest of it and 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 work accordingly. And when you've got a superstar caliber player like Matabike, who has come when you've seen this much growth from him over these years. You've got to assume that you're also potentially not at the top of your curve there either. And so that you might be getting some future investment on him continuing to get better here too. It's kind of incredible because the Ravens entered this camp with no, no defensive lineman other than Travis Jones was still going to be on the roster under team control for 2024. What's happened since they re-signed Braddock Washington to a long-term deal, which they might now regret, but honestly, I don't think it's, it's way out of line and I'm hoping he'll still be okay. Pierce, they re-signed at the end of the season. Fantastic signing. Very happy to have him back. Travis Jones is obviously his play jumped to another level in, in this season. It's, and he'll he'll be a he'll be a fine player. Matt Abike has earned the franchise tag. And I think Urban will be back on a vet min deal because I think his his fungibility of the roster at the end is so valuable. And he still gives you a lot for the vet men on the defensive line. I still think that's, you know, he, had, he had certainly had one of his best seasons. Uh, this year and particularly given the you know the limited amount of playing time I thought he was you know really excellent I think he stays with the Ravens another year unless he decides he wants to retire for some reason yeah no I I totally agree and then the Ravens are fantastic uh, at drafting defensive linemen they're fantastic at bringing guys in on the undrafted side of that I mean you you can bring in some depth and work it accordingly but it's it's a strength of this team and I think that the Ravens need to think about building I mean, I think that part of what was so good about the pass rush this year wasn't just what McDonald and Smith brought in, but it was also the type of some of these guys and what they were able to do. Matt Abike being able to be a stunting defensive lineman, the way that they utilized him made him made them a lot more effective overall. Um, I did think some of the stunts in this game were less clean than they have been. And I don't know if that's something schematically that the Chiefs were doing to counter that, but there were definitely no. a few times the Ravens <laughs> had some guys run into each other, et cetera, that looked out of sync. The, the big problem for stunts is they take time to develop. And it was ball out quick was beating the stunts. So they had, they had I think it was five plays for 73 yards with stunts in this game. So 14.6 yards per play. Just a matter of ball out quick. That's really all it is. To, you need to beat stunts. So if the other team is is using that as their primary thing, if they're if they're playing small ball, you have to just let them play small ball. And the Ravens did a very good job when when the ball was out quickly. Mahomes only averaged five point one yards per play. If you can hold Patrick Mahomes to five point one yards per play, you're generally going to win that ball game. So uh, you know it's a it's a good thing. And they had you know the Ravens have the tools to beat small ball, particularly with Hamilton and and you know the way he roams the field and can pick up tackles for loss uh, that that you're going to. Generally speaking, you're going to do pretty well in those situations. 
Uh, let me let me move ahead here a little bit. Uh, we talked a little bit about players. I don't want to go into too, too much of this, but the I think they they've got a bad UFA situation, but they also have some key younger developmental players in Mitchell, Voris, Cleveland, Ajabo, and Simpson. I think are a big five to look for next year. Uh, try to help this team move forward. You could probably come up with a couple more if you work at it. Um, uh, you know, if you, they, they've got to find themselves at a few positions they need they need to address. They need to get another pass rusher. They need to get another safety. They need to do a few things to to shore up some positions. But they do have a, a fair amount of good, hopefully, step up tackle. When I talk about Simpson, by the way, I'm talking about Trenton Simpson, not John Simpson. Just to be clear. And John Simpson could be a cheap resign, by the way, but but I think Trenton Simpson is uh, is uh, probably uh, a, a guy who's going to step into a big role. Yeah, well, and I, I think Voorhees and Cleveland are really interesting questions for this team overall, and whether or not they can be contributors next year. I think we liked what we saw generally from Ben Cleveland towards the end of this year in mm-hmm. terms of what the Ravens were able to get from him. I think there's an interesting question of how much money they're saved with the dead cap money from Zeitler this year. What I, I was looking before this game, I think he's got a, a $4 million dead cap hit. So, um, you know, even if they're going with Cleveland over his spot, if you can get his, his salary cap number at 5 million or less, then. Are you, are you talking about void years or something? Because yeah, void years got... on the Zeitler deal. Okay. So he's, he's not, he's not under contract. He's, he's, you know, if, if, if they let him go. So there's some, you're saying something about resigning him and, and, and they could, so there's, maybe... a, there's 4 million. Yeah. There's $4 million of dead money on Zeitler's deal because of void years. So okay. if they go with Cleveland over Zeitler, it's really like paying Ben Cleveland $5 million. Right. So if, if you want to bring up, if you, and I, I'm not, I don't have, I don't have a horse in this race at this particular moment, but I, all I'm trying to say is, if you can bring Zeitler back and get his cap number down under that 4 million marker for next year, then you're still saving money over what your, your true cap is right now. All right. I, I, first of all, I, I, I buy your mathematical logic, but I think that the problem is that Zeitler is probably going to want three years, 25 million or, or two years, 18 million or something like that. And when you're talking about that, then you're talking about spending a lot more money at the position and the Ravens need to think about how can we get it done cheap? And it's true. It might mean they have to eat it all in one year, but that money is spent. It's just a matter of when. So you're, you, it's not really five million next year. It's just a, oh, what are we talking about? It's just a credit card balance. It's you know, it's this is the problem is we're going to have to pay the freaking credit card balance on Odell Beckham this next year over the next few years, and it's going to hurt. When it happens, it's going to it's going to restrain what the Ravens can do. So anyway. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with but, you. But those two guys are very interesting. Yeah. And Simpson's very interesting too. I mean, I, I, we, I really liked what we saw from him in that last game of the year against Pittsburgh. I think there's real question as to, or, or it's not a pending massive question that he could be at some level replacing Patrick Queen. And I think you put yeah. a guy next to Roquan Smith and you get the Ray Lewis effect where the guy that's playing next to Roquan Smith is going to be really good because, well, heck, he's playing next to Roquan Smith. Yeah, and I love that idea for starters, and I also love the idea that he's not locked into either a um, three-down inside linebacker role, nor is he either clearly just a run stopper or a guy you want on passing downs. So there's multiple options. You could definitely platoon at that position. You could bring in a dime if he's having coverage issues or if he's not really providing the value as a pass rusher. Queen did a lot of good things in terms of setting picks and doing some other things that were unusual that he hadn't done in his in his um, initial years at the position uh, was more aware and coverage than he'd ever been. That's been a you know a growth area. I think th- hopefully the Ravens have learned something in terms of 
a desire not to overdraft at that position and and not pay for growth, pay for the player to grow. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> when when you have young actuaries on staff, you, you management actuaries will often make the joke, even though, you know, basically you have to work tons of hours in the profession no matter what. Um, if, if they'll make the joke that I, I don't want to just pay for him to take the exams. And and it's it's it is something you don't really want to do for a player pack. You already spent a ton of draft capital. There should be a return on that right away. <laughs> and it, it waits until year four to show up or year three and a half to show up if you want to talk it at that point. So what I'm curious your thoughts about John Harbaugh, this coaching staff and their rotational positions in that sense, because. A guy like Owe is a guy who graded out really well statistically yeah. by a lot of these external measures, but usage-wise, never got the run that he would have needed to be successful. Now, obviously, Van Noy played really well. Um, they were getting good production from kind of Harrison on early downs, and so there's situationally, like maybe you don't want to be using Owe, but it feels like from that analogy perspective, the Ravens' approach to dro- dr- drafting is often paying these guys to develop and, and – and, and again, we don't know. It's impossible to know what's happening behind the scenes, right? So I'm not mm-hmm. saying that they're not seeing something in practice that I'm not aware of. I'm not trying to say that I'm smarter than these guys. But it does feel like the Ravens, Ben Cleveland is another example where it's like, yeah. maybe if you just rip the Band-Aid off and let Ben Cleveland play at guard all year this year, by the end of this year, he was going to be a lot better than he will be until he's three quarters of the way through next year. And maybe that's the difference between the one seed and the four seed in next year's playoffs. Um, and so I'm just curious your thoughts on the Ravens coaching approach to that at large, because I, I think we see that regularly with that. Yeah, it's it's a lot of good teams have that issue. They have really deep rosters and and it takes a while for players to get playing time. Um, you know, one guy from this year's draft, the fourth round pick, Tavius Robinson, uh, he got on the field for a fair number of snaps. I think, you know, basically you can't ask for much more than that. A guy like Simpson, you know, he basically he was already told. Hey, you're playing special teams this year. Harbaugh pretty much talked about it from the very moment he was drafted that, that this was already happening. Uh, but I think, I, I, in some cases, I don't think it matters too much. In other cases, it's really nice to get that player started. They got a great start for Linderbaum, and I think it has already paid off in year two with some actual improved pass blocking. And so that was terrific. Um, you know, they obviously got a great start for Hamilton in terms of getting him a lot of snaps and trying him out at nickel. So they knew just how freaking valuable he would be this year. Now he's the 14th overall pick. So you're not as concerned about that happening, but yeah, I, I think there's something to be said about it, but the Steelers fans have always complained about that in just the same way that you, you're drafted onto the Steelers defense. You didn't even get to play until you're three. And so, you know, what do we know? And you can go back to Paul Kruger and some of these other guys in terms of guys who, who were, were late bloomers because they were kind of blocked in terms of their their position on the team. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think it's it's something with Owe in the case. Um, they could have rotated him in more because I think in some ways he probably was their most effective pass rusher. I know some people are going to take that as um, uh, strange, but he had the highest pass rush win rate. And uh, even Clowney, who did a lot of other things very well, um, as in terms of a pure pass rusher, I think they basically saved him for those situations. They had him on the field for most of those or more of those than the one third share would have indicated, you know, of the, of the current players. And, um, you know, I think, I think it worked out. I think away had a, had a, a very solid season. I don't think there's, there's much that I would take from it. I'm not down at all on his future. I also think they're going to pick up the fifth year option on Oway, and they're not going to do it for Bateman this off season. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's cheap, by the way, for Oway because he hasn't made a Pro Bowl. So 
and by the way, that could be in their thought in terms of playing time. Hmm. Is basically if you keep the guy out of the Pro Bowl, he uh, there's a there's a jump, and I don't know how much it is, but it's not insignificant. And it, it's something like I've seen the number, but the, the projection is fairly low, like seven to nine million in that range is what it'll cost to pick up OA's fifth year option, which in in, in general terms is not too much to, to certainly to pay for a for, for a top pass rusher or a good pass rusher. And I think he probably over the next two years he really does break out, and we see a lot more sack production. Um, particularly once Chuck Smith has a little more time to work with him. Yeah, I think he's a he's an interesting. I think him and Voorhees could be two of the most interesting guys for next yeah. year in terms of what they can contribute. I'm very curious to see. I mean, the Ravens obviously trading a pick in a future draft to come back into this draft to take Voorhees late yeah. speaks highly of what they think he's capable of doing. Are they ready to just hand him the left guard job if they think he's healthy enough, or or at least give him a chance to win it? Okay, so. I don't know where they may they may be set that Cleveland has to play right guard at this point. They certainly they used him there a lot. They only used him a little bit at left guard this year. So they may they may just say, hey, it's Cleveland for Zeitler at right guard because we don't think Cleveland has the feet. Maybe Cleveland's limitations that determine some of that. But Cleveland's also a very powerful man and and can handle the right guard torque change necessary on that defensive tackle. Voorhees is perhaps an even more powerful man. And we're going to see some of that next year, but there should be some great strength competitions between those two, uh, having two of those thunderously powerful guards in the league, you know, the, the top uh, bench guy from, from his draft class, even with an ACL tear does it. Uh, it's still insane. Yeah. Insane. But, but I, I, I don't know about Vori's feet. I don't know how he's going to work out um, uh, there, but I imagine he gets one of the starting jobs and Cleveland gets the other. I think Zeitler will be gone. I don't think the Ravens will uh, will resign him. And honestly, um, it's one of the dangers to talk about that five million as if it's or the the four million really as if it's money that you don't ever have to pay. It's it's already spent. You know, of the, the, yeah. Of course. Well, and I, I think it's you know, and I know this. Uh, we're still we're still on the defensive podcast, but I think. Uh, Guys like Voorhees in Cleveland and Likely's emergence this year really should push the, the Ravens to be a 12 personnel team next year. Uh, they, they, yeah. they, for whatever, and I think Beckham's presence played a part in that, going heavy on the wide receivers, wanting to do something a little bit differently. But Munkin has a lot of history in 12 personnel, both in Tampa and when he was mm-hmm. in Georgia. Um, Likely and Andrews can play off each other exceptionally well. And if you're going to get two really powerful guards like that and you can bring in that that dynamic to this passing game and running game simultaneously with a guy like Lamar. Um, I mean, it's, you know, you want to talk about what you might be excited about for the 2024 season. And that's one of them of the Ravens really morphing a little bit more towards what some of those Patriots offenses look like under Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski. How do they channel some of that and then add Lamar's legs to the, that dynamic? That's a scary proposition for the league. It would make the team more like 2019. Um, they probably keep Ricard um, and 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 retain the run game. I I I just I do not see them parting ways with Ricard. He's had too good a year, I think, in a lot of ways. I just I I don't see him going. And I think in order to get the most out of your running backs and the most value out of Lamar being who he is, I think it really helps to have a player like Ricard. Now, what they could do, they could draft a defensive lineman, start him off as or maybe. Screw drafting him. That's way too much capital to spend. Get an undrafted lineman they really like, who they think has the athleticism and maybe is a little undersized, meaning only weighs 285, 290, to, to play a, at fullback. 
and find the next Patrick Ricard. They could definitely start with something like that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's NFL league-wide is going with positional changes like that. Uh, I don't think it's, I, you know, I don't think it's a player like Falele. I think it has to be somebody who's a little more nimble than that. But I, but I think they, the Ravens could do it again if they want to remake the Ricard mold. Yeah, and that's a $4 million cap savings if they do decide to move on from Ricard. So that they may not ultimately have a choice when it comes down to it. But it's, again, you know, that's what's going to be. This is a really interesting offseason for the, the Ravens. I, I mean, I think it's going to tell us. We already were told a lot about what they wanted to try and do an offense under Munkin with Aguilar, obviously the re-signing of Jackson and Beckham signings and what they wanted to do in that direction. They get to do that again. And they, they were, I, I think there's going to be a lot of virtue signaling in, in the offseason here about what direction the Ravens want to take this. And, and that usually you don't want to overread into some of these cues, but if you are a championship team, that's what you have to, you have to read into these cues of what the team is trying to accomplish. And then you hope, that they don't do what they did in this game and shy away from the identity of the thing that it is that they are the best at. Like, like I, I know that the Chiefs pass rush was so good in this game. It's because in the second half, they didn't believe that the Ravens were going to run the ball against them. At that point, these guys, even in base package, were teeing off like it was a wide nine, empty, like empty five wide backfield. Um, and the Ravens never, never made them pay any of the other, any of the wiser. You know, that's a different podcast for you, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's go to a few things here. I'm going to talk some packages really quickly. Very basic array of four packages in this game. They had two jumbos they put in on the very final drive of the game. I don't think anybody really cares, but four down linemen, only three defensive backs. Darby came off the field. And by the way, that 12 men on the field penalty that occurred on first down there, that was because Darby didn't come off the field when he was supposed to. So they they knew what was going on. They had four down linemen. Stevens tried to fall on the sword and run off the field, but he wasn't the one. He was out. He was out there the next time they played it, and Darby wasn't. So it's was clearly Darby was not supposed to be on the field. If you're looking for someone to blame, uh, 14 base snaps only hit 37 total yards on that, so 2.6 yards per play. Whenever the Ravens were able to go big, they were very effective in this game. Um, so every single one of those base snaps again. Harrison is the key player who's on there for every single one of those. Uh, and he, he he mixed up some with Clowney and some with Van Noy, never with Owe, going back to the point about Owe primarily being used in, in pass rush situations. But then the nickels where it got interesting. They're split between 18 standard nickels, and that's when they had either Mollette or Washington for two plays. Remember, Mollette got hurt, left the field. Washington replaced him. Um, and when they had the standard nickel on the field, they allowed 6.8 yards per play. When they had the big nickel on the field, which was 23 plays, Hamilton at slot corner, Stone on the back end, uh, those were only 3.2 yards per play allowed. So big difference having Hamilton up front near the line of scrimmage. Most of it's that Mullet, you know, didn't have a great game. He obviously got penalized on the on the one play that I thought was very ticky tack, but it was what it was. And and then he had the um, uh, he got beat by Scantling over the top on the uh, Valdez Scantling on the on the real touchdown on the play that sealed the game. Yeah, I, I mean, the Ravens have to approach next season as Kyle Hamilton being their slot cornerback. Yeah. If, if that's if that's not their approach and they want to move him to a deep safety, they're crazy. It would have been, I mean, it would have almost been like not using Troy Palomalo around the line of scrimmage. You know, once the Ravens realized that Ed Reed was best on the back end of the field, I mean, he played strong safety early in his career, but by the end yep. of his career, he was free safety. It is obvious that, 
Kyle Hamilton needs to be used as a hybrid strong safety corner and you rotate accordingly. And, and there really, there, there really just is no other question about that. The Ravens, you know, and, and so it's a question of, are they going to be a cover two? Are they going to be more of a cover three team next year? Accordingly, you know, do they want to let Marcus Williams play single high in some of those scenarios and use their corners accordingly? Um, again, we can, I think we'll be able to watch what they do in this free agent off season. Um, you know, do they bring in another true kind of free safety Kyle Hamilton's so fascinating in the sense is that most teams can't play with two free safeties because you're not strong enough against the run. Right. This is one of those instances where in this past happy league that we live in, that you could still be good against the run and you can still have two elite speed ball hawking kind of safeties in the back end. Um, and that's, that's a really interesting dynamic for any, any defense. Yeah. It is, it's definitely a, a huge gift to be able to play with that advantage and have Hamilton be the, um, defender of the strong side of the field he is of the horizontal defender is is amazing and it's not that hamilton can't play the back end effectively i think he can i just think it minimizes his talents and you take away from what he can accomplish on a football field i i you know you're basically he's going to be further from the play most of the time and hamilton right you know hamilton had plays at both on both sides of this and if you look through the notes in the article i point people to that some of the notes for him actually making very good plays from strong safety coming up to make tackles that are eight and ten yards off the line of scrimmage okay that minimizes the value of hamilton damn it i mean if you have him playing at slot corner he defends that whole side of the field and can make plays for negative two yards zero yards yards instead so and of course he you know he made the big run stop on fourth and i got a quarterback hit you know so just so many things he can do for you that uh uh you know that they're they're missing out on but i think i think one of the things about really being a good cover two team is you want to have two guys who really have a free safety background so stone and williams was a perfect marriage of that hopefully a healthy williams with another free safety who, you know, a bigger than average free safety, but someone with a free safety background nonetheless would be the guy I would want there. It'd be very interesting to see what the market establishes itself for Geno Stone and whether or not that's something that materializes or whether the Ravens, I mean, hasn't materialized up to this point. And obviously he played really well this year. A lot of it was just being in the right place at the right time. I think that, you know, if you're a team and you're looking at what you're going to pay for, you're not getting Jesse Bates out of Geno Stone as an example, right? Um, and so our team's going to be willing to ratchet up, you know, a third to a half of what you might pay somebody like Bates to get just somebody that is going to be really core to the position, understand how to play free safety, maybe isn't going to be making, you know, true splash plays in terms of kind of breaking the game of safety, but really what he brings to the Ravens defense is, is a lot, you know, still a lot. Um, and I think that there's an, it's it's just a weird corner of the cap where you might not have the dollars for that. Now, obviously, if there's a team that's got a lot of money and it's a need and it's what they're out there trying to fill, and he's the right fit for like a Vic Fangio style defense in Philadelphia or so, I don't. Their cap situation is probably not good, but whatever that situation looks like, and it's the right fit. Obviously, he's going to go there. But also, it could be a case of musical chairs. He's left out, and he could be back in Baltimore um, for a deal that isn't crazy. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's impossible in Stone's case. I still think it's kind of unlikely. But if you're talking about looking at the various players, I think I think Stone is a possibility of being back because the position is open right now for the Ravens. That's the real thing is that they they have an actual need for a free safety. If they wanted Queen, the position really isn't open because it belongs to Simpson at this point, as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's I, they they you know if they wanted Zeitler, 
the position is already half filled by the combination of Voorhees and Cleveland, and you know, and even the possibility of bringing John Simpson back on a cheaper deal. Uh, you know, that's the way you've got to manage around having Lamar's contract now on the books. Is you need to find where can I not spend? Not where can I spend? Not how can I fill every single position with a star player? Not when every wide receiver becomes available, how can I you know trip over myself to get him signed? Uh, you know, it's it, it's it's not about that. It's about where am I not going to spend? Really making a plan to do that that makes sense and still holds your football game team together. Yeah, it's a, one, it's a win-win in Geno Stone case because he's either going out and getting someone's paying him what yeah. seven or eight interceptions on the market say he should pay you, and mm-hmm. the comp pick value is going to be there, or he's signing for something less than that because the market isn't willing to give it to him, even though I think the market's flawed in that instance. The market's not willing to give it to him, and the Ravens are going to benefit from that because in reality, he really should be paid like a safety that got seven interceptions this year because that's because he was in position for those interceptions, and he added a lot to the team because of that. What's your top number? Let's say, let's say you, you have a three-year deal on Stone and you have to you have to come up with what your top number is. And then you can give me a one-year deal if you don't, but what's your what would be your number? I mean, I, I would try and get him on a three or four-year deal that's like 14 to 18 million. Four that is probably just about the right range for me. Just about and the so, right range. The four-year 18 being more optimal so you can spread a little bit more of that out, making it really realistically a three-year deal, drive the cap number down in this upcoming year. The Ravens, there's accounting that needs to be done because of these void-year things that they did this year. But two years from now, depending on whatever happens with Ronnie Stanley, the cap changes pretty significantly once they get to that stage. Ronnie Stanley is a cap potential to be cut, I think, in 25. Or I think Ronnie Stanley will not be a Raven unless it's a much bigger a much more discounted deal by the time he gets to 2025 who else is i think marcus williams is on the on the table at that point marlon humphrey's on the table at that point yeah, so the, they're, they're multiple the cap situation yep. yeah 2024 is a critical year a lot of options open up in 25 i and i and to these last couple of games i had told you stanley was right on the table for 24 with an 8.3 million dollar savings but now with the barriers so high at left tackle and they don't have any reasonable solution ready to go they have backup solutions i think you know mccary and falele are are Falele enough of a developmental player because of the play literally over about his last 96 or 97 snaps that I'm willing to take another chance on him for next year. Okay. McCary has, has played enough above the replacement level and still not been probably average for the league that I, I'm, I want to keep going with him as a reasonable left tackle backup. I don't want to use him anywhere else. I don't want to pretend like the guy has versatility because I never want to see him in a game at center. I never want to see him in a game at, at guard either. Not because I don't think he'd be okay, but because it's too much of a risk to have him play another position. That's what Tyree Phillips did. And then he couldn't play tackle. Yeah, no. Well, and I think, you know, and that's where the, it is a little interesting on the year in terms of Macari and, and with Ronnie Stanley, like, you know, maybe there's a big signing or something breaks through in the right way. A tackle in the draft comes to the right spot. You get that post June one cut for Ronnie Stanley. I think, I think the post June one number is actually pretty, it's going to generate $15 million on the cap. And and that means you, 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 you tack away seven off next year's cap. It's sure. Look, I'm but, not saying it's, it's, it's money already spent either way. You're just readjusting the it, year it, you put it into. But we're, but we're talking about what you can do in 2024 then. And if you are a fully committed 12 personnel team where you're going to be much more heavy on the run. You're going to lean a little bit more into keeping a tight end right next to your left tackle in every single snap makes me a lot more comfortable with Makari being the starting left tackle. 
Oh, I don't no, think I it's completely do unreasonable. <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that. I go ahead and draft that guy number number you know thirty. I guess it would 30, 30, yeah, thirty. Thirty. Ravens will be yeah, drafted, 30. right? So I draft whoever it is. I draft him number thirty. I'd hope he was a guy who would surprise me and move into that left tackle spot and be good. But if he surprised me and he was not good, I'd be meaning if he was not good and he exactly met my expectations because he's really a two year project guy then I'd say at least I got him the playing time. With with McCary, I know I'm going to get a below average level of play, and I, I don't want that on the left side. I'd rather take the chance on, on another player. And, and you know, if your two-year solutions, they can also include Ronnie at that point. Just just have, have Ronnie there. You, have, you, have, you know, you have Moses for next year. And then you're going to need another tackle, by the way, which is either Moses re-signed, which I'm not ruling out, but it's, you know, he's getting up there. And I think that it's it's a it's a becomes a bigger risk at that problem at, at that point for for a lot of reasons. Yeah, but it, it, Ronnie Stanley is the interesting I think decision that the Raven. It, it'll be very interesting to see what the Ravens do with that because they know what his medicals are like, they know what his pain tolerance is like, they know what his approach has been on this, and whether it's a fit for what they want. And so again, this is not a comment on. Ronnie Stanley himself, right? Like I think a lot of people sure. have come after Ronnie and been like, "Oh, he's not strong enough. He's not doesn't have enough pain tolerance. He's not whatever." As to soon me, as you it's, see it's that, don't you that. dismiss it? Don't you just dismiss that kind of? I, me personally, outright yeah. without without a question. Yeah. To me, what I'm looking for in these is kind of like where. So if they're doing that, what are they doing with the money, right? Like if, yeah. if they've decided to move on from Ronnie, then they have evaluated that in the scheme of things, their usage of paying some of this cap money early, doing X, Y, and Z things are the ones that they think that matter in that process. And so I think that, I think that's the interesting part about what the dynamic can look like for, for the team coming into 2024. Okay. All right. Very good. Let me talk a little bit about the pass rush here because uh, we got to get to that and then we got to, we got to take a break and we'll be back for part two. Uh, Ravens had minimal numbers in this game. Uh, they did do a little bit of blitzing, so they had some moderate, moderate deception. The ATS BOQ pressure numbers, I'm going to give those. Uh, Mahomes only had ATS nine plays, 22% of the time, 67 yards, 7.4 yards per play. That's not particularly good, by the way. You'd, you'd want your guy to be up around nine or 10 yards per throw in it with ATS, but they didn't really try and push it down the field, and the Ravens have been exceptionally good all year at taking away the deep pass, so that works out. Ball out quick, 19 times, talked about it earlier, 46% of the times. He only had 96 yards on those plays, 5.1 yards per play. If you want to beat Patrick Mahomes, beat him by forcing him to play small ball is not a bad way. Now, Mahomes is a little better than a lot of other quarterbacks at making that an extension of the run game and really making use of it. I think we saw a lot of that in this game that he didn't obviously didn't have any of the mistakes that caused turnovers, which is what you really want. But he didn't uh, uh, he didn't also create a number of incompletes for him and well, it took him forever to get that first incomplete pass in this game. It felt like it. Yeah. <laughs> 13 pressures, 32% of the time, 67 yards, 5.2 yards per play and two sacks. That's good variation by the Ravens. 5.2 yards per play is really good for Patrick Mahomes in terms of beating it. And that includes, I believe, the play to Scantling. Was it? Yes, it was a pressure by Pierce at the end of the game. So uh, MVS uh, play is, is in that group. Um I'll just give you briefly what they did with numbers in this game. Let me get to my spreadsheet here since I didn't put it in my outline. But they rushed with three three times, minus four yards on those plays, minus 1.3 per play. I'm looking at the postseason in general. That is not the correct one. I'm probably looking at a minus five from that Houston game. 
Let's look at Kansas City only. Okay. They rushed uh, three, two plays, one yard in this game. So no problem with that. When they rushed for 30 plays, 6.4 yards per play, two sacks. Um, not terrible, probably against Mahomes, but also was one of their worst. They rushed five, seven times, only 21 yards. They rushed six in this game twice for 7.5. That's a little bit unusual. That's m- probably a little bit more on the uh, than you normally see. 5.6 yards overall per pass play in this game for Mahomes, and that include that's net yardage that includes the sack. Mm-hmm. So uh, overall, you know, I, I don't think that's an ineffective game against Patrick Mahomes. Would you agree? No, I again, you know. The the Kelsey touchdown was a thing of beauty, and the Pacheco touchdown came off the fumble. I, I, I mean, the Chiefs just they didn't do seventeen points is not a lot of points. <laughs> they didn't do that much damage in this game, and and that's you know that's a testament to how well the Ravens defense played. Few elements of deception used thirteen off ball blitzes, five point four yards per play. The stunts we talked about earlier, there are five of those, four singles, one double, and those just take time to develop. 73 yards on those 14.6 yards per play. When you have an offense focused on ball out quick, stunting is less valuable. Go ahead. But there was definitely a stunt. I think there were two where two Ravens players ran into each other on the stunt. Like, like, and I know that the ball was coming out quick and it played a part in it, but it just, yes. <laughs> it, but, but that, that shouldn't affect the stunters, right? Like to me, I don't know. I just, I, it makes me wonder why that happened, I guess is really all I'm asking, right? Okay. Like the stunting players should know the scheme. They should know where the stunt is. They should know where they're attacking. They should not be running into each other. Um, and it just looks very, and it might, the optics of it, this might be an example where the optics of it are worse than the actuality of it. But I feel like I've not seen the Ravens defenders run into each other on stunts very often this year. And I feel like I saw it happen twice in this game. Yeah, so what? How, how that can happen, and I did not analyze the specific ones in this game, but how that can happen is one or both of the stunters realizes the play is going in the opposite direction from where their stunt will help, and they reverse field because of that. And ball out quick is the optimal time for that sort of thing to happen. can also happen if somebody sees a screen get set up against a stunt, and they're, oh, shit, I got to be over here. Um, th- then you you get people running into each other. But anyway, it was it, I, I I'm not denying that it, that it happened there. I think that the, the 19 BOQs are are a, are a big reason behind it. Uh, six simulated pressures didn't do a whole lot with that. That was 7.5 yards per play and two plus elements five times. So they did try and mix it up a little bit against Mahomes. 7.9 yards per play. Basically, I kind of felt like whenever they rushed more than four in the past. They've really benefited Mahomes. I think McDonald, because of the measured amount he did in this in this uh, game, I think that was not always true. I think that that sometimes they benefited from uh, from having five plus coming, but Mahomes nonetheless very good under pressure in this game, uh, and that was something that uh, you know it probably was his best thing was was how he threw under pressure, including that last throw to MVS. His ability to throw the ball on target in nearly every circumstance it's just yeah. <laughs> it's just uncanny um but considering the first 11 what was it the first 11 12 13 i can't remember it seemed like a ton um passes of the game were all caught consecutively he was only after that a much more pedestrian i think if it was the first 11 right then he was much more uh, a pedestrian, not pedestrian, but 19 for 29 after that, if he was 11 for 11 mm-hmm. to start or 18 of 20, 20, 28 after that, um, which is a much, I, I mean, you can live with that if you're the Ravens. And I think they did. And, and that's why, that's why it was punt, 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 punt in the second half. Yeah. They had, they had zero 
uh, touchdowns, obviously also zero interceptions. So if you're looking at something like passer rating, obviously it would be a lot lower after if you want to truncate some portion of it. So unfortunately we can't do that. They built that 14 seven lead that they never gave up during the time where Mahomes was uh, making shot put throws and, and throwing a back shoulder to Kelsey and whatnot. So uh, it, it is what it is. Jordan, but six, I always. Oh, I was just going to say six two six point two yards per pass pass attempt in the game and two point eight yards on the ground. Like like you, for as much as you want to take whatever you take away from this defense, take a step. I, I would encourage fans to take a step back and look at those numbers. If you were if you were to tell me before this game that the Ravens held Patrick Mahomes to under seven YPA and under three yards per carry. And all these people ranting about how great Pacheco played. He had less than three yards of carry. Like, yeah. So I get it right. Um, I would have told you the Ravens won this game by 20. So that's fair enough. 5.6 yards for the record per, per play. That's net yards after the sacks. They did have them twice. They, they sacked oh, twice. Oh yeah, that that's right. Yeah, that's too. right. Correct. Yeah. Uh, um, so anyway, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know I, I, that you should win that game if you if you play that way against Patrick Mahomes. It ended up being a defensive struggle and one where the Ravens tripped over their own um, feet time after time in this game and and uh, didn't get it done on offense. But I think if you if you're trying to find blame, you got to look at the offensive side of the ball primarily. Jordan, always a pleasure to talk football with you. We're going to come back in the second part of this show. We'll talk about the individual players. I don't think it's going to be as long, folks, but we'll, we'll see about that because whenever I get to talk football with Jordan, I really enjoy it. And so we take our time doing this. And this is unfortunately the last defensive review of the year. So it's going to be a while till we hear another. Uh, Jordan, tell folks where they can talk to you online if they want to or find your work. Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Raven Sit Room. Love talking Raven stuff and, and definitely done some some co-work with Ken. So uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, Ken. Uh, always, always appreciate Jordan. I wish we we were still able to plan our uh our uh, ritual craps game for the for the Super Bowl here, but that's that's not happening now. Uh, Mia Maureen did something smart. She bought refundable flights to Las Vegas. There you go. <laughs> and she didn't tell me she was doing this. I, I and it was it was like an extra hundred dollars. And I go, hey, that's actually a good use of insurance in life, you know. So, all right. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, very very smart. So anyway, we'll we'll be back for the second part of the show. Other folks out there, if you'd like to have. Uh, a film study short. This is the time. I'm looking for off-season content as always. If you want to be part of the draft process, uh, let me know. Uh, if you want to talk about individual a two-player show, which I'll start, uh, let me know. If you want to do some other series that takes four shows to do it, I'm open to those sorts of ideas now. Uh, and so I'd love to, to do some sort of four-part dissection of something that, that we, we now have time to do. Uh, but anyway, uh, DMs are always open on Twitter. Hit me up there and I'll get back to you very quickly. Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.